0: But this morning, we're continuing our series about the call. Uh, We began with Pastor Will and Desiree teaching us about our primary call, the most important call, that being to know God, to know the architect that formed you, to love him, to be in relationship with him. The second was by Pastor Mark Stevenson, and it was talking about our call to mission, our call to love others, or if you remember, the call to respond to the mess in our world. For those that were here, you'll remember the mess he preached amongst and then how quickly that was cleaned up when a group of people stood and said, we're going to respond to this. They were looking for more because once we partner together in mission, it's amazing what we can do. And today in the third part of the series, we're going to be talking about our career call, our role to play our career, that thing that we spend five out of seven days doing, so much of our life dedicated to. God wants to be a part of that. God has commissioned you for that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we begin, I want to establish some assumptions, some assumptions that will guide us in looking at our career calls so that I know that we're all on the same page because I don't want any of us to be confused. So if we're starting here, we're talking about our work um, our careers, our business—not the ministry of a pastor. So I just want to make that distinction from the start. Secondly, we're talking about when we talk about the church, we're calling that this building primarily a place where we gather together, um, and we often refer to it as a temple. So when I talk about the church, I'm talking about these four walls. The third thing is—I'm um, sorry—I find it really hard to say this, but if you're involved in business, then you are a bit less spiritual than those that serve in church. That your work out in the workforce is less spiritual than your ministry here in church. And finally, that the the primary role of those with careers is to make money to support those that are in the ministry. (laughs) Sorry, Um, I I wish you could see Pastor Will's face. Hopefully it's not just him that's shocked. Hopefully there, are, all of you are riling in your seats that you're waiting for him to take me off the stage because this is so not true. This is not what we stand for. This is not what we as equippers believe. We are the church. The church is not these four walls. The church. We exist to influence our city, to influence the nation and the nations. You, what you do in your career every day of the week is just as spiritual as what I'm doing right now, speaking. That um, what else have I said there? That that we when. When I talk about our career call, I'm talking about everything you do. I'm not talking about whether you're a pastor or you're a businessman, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a cleaner. Everything, that's what I mean by your career, whether you are in work as a pastor or a cleaner. And finally, that your primary role, if you don't work as a pastor, if you work as a business person, as a teacher, as a lawyer, is not to make money to support those in ministry. That there is more to what you do, nine to five, five days a week, than just making money. Yes, God can use it for the kingdom. Yes, God can do mighty things, but there is way more to it. So, now that hopefully there are those of you that understand this isn't part of who we are, there's some relief that comes across your minds. But actually, what I want to say is the reason I put them up there is sometimes we can say that, but in the conversations I hear and talking to people and in the assumptions people make and the way they talk about their work, sometimes I wonder actually subconsciously if people still live by these assumptions. We know when we talk about them intellectually that they're rubbish. But actually, because they've been a part of church history for so long, sometimes they're a bit harder to shake. And sometimes these mindsets underpin decisions people make. They underpin the way people think about their career, about the career of the people around them. And I, wanna, I want us to get to the point at the end where you recognise that what you have to do in God is significant, that you are empowered and anointed by God in everything you do, and finally that you're excited about the opportunities that He has for you in your career. So that by the end of this, if I was to put up this slide again, it wouldn't just be Pastor all sitting there going... Like seriously, what is she talking about? But actually all of you would be like, come on, Justine, you've got to be joking. This is ridiculous. Um, So if we get rid of that, because it really, this sort of thing actually is a good way to wind me up. I I just don't believe this. Um, But my heart's desire is by the end of today, as I say, that you'll be excited about what God has for you. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter 14. That's 1 Peter 4 verses 10. In the NIV version, it says this. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Or in the New King James Version, As each one has received gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're to serve, or the New King James Version says we're to minister. When we look at the scripture, we can tell... These things that we all have gifts, that we're all called to use these gifts to minister to others. So I don't know what the word ministry brings up for you. I don't know whether when you say ministry you think church, as in four, you know this building, what we do on a Sunday. But actually, it says in the scripture that all of us have gifts to minister to others. What does ministry actually mean? It means to serve others. God has given each and every one of us gifts to serve those around us. And then next, by the grace of God, we're given those gifts and we are all anointed. We're all anointed to serve others or to minister to others. And so my first point, if you're taking notes, is that we are all called to minister. There are no exceptions. All of us have a call to ministry. If we go then to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 it says this, it says, so whatever you do, sorry, I didn't push it quite enough. Um, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The context of the scripture is that and if you look further back in it, they're debating about whether or not Christians can eat food that's been sacrificed to idols, whether or not they can do that with a clear conscience. And even if they think it's okay, if they can justify it, what about if you're having a meal with someone who doesn't think it's okay, then what do you do? Can you eat it? And at the end of it, Paul says this to them. He says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He basically says, stop trying to make rules around this. Throw out the rule book. The basic principle, the basic premise is honour God. Bring glory to God. Love God. Love other people. If it's going to make someone concerned, don't eat it. Because that's loving them and therefore honouring God. If nobody's got a problem with it and you know it's fine before God, go for it. Because that's honouring God and it's honouring the people around you. And what I want to say is, it's not just what we eat or drink. It says everything we do, do to the glory of God. The difficulty we have is we are in a world where a Greek mindset tells us that there are spiritual things, and then there are ordinary things. So doing your dishes is ordinary, um, but reading the Bible, that's spiritual. Driving to work, that's ordinary, but praying, well that's spiritual. Healing someone, Telling someone, bringing someone to know God through sharing the gospel, that's definitely spiritual. But you know, maybe putting those numbers into your accounting system, that's ordinary. The reality is the Bible doesn't teach that. Biblically, everything we do is spiritual. There is no distinction. And everything we do, we do to honor God. And so what we need to do is we need to let go of this distinction of what is spiritual and what is not. And we need to do everything we do for the glory of God. Because he can be glorified through it all. And so what I want to say to you is, like Paul said to the Corinthians, get rid of this rule book around which foods are okay and which foods are not. Get rid of the rule book around what in your life is spiritual and what is not. And do it all for the glory of God. Honor him in everything you do. Ephesians four eleven to 12 says this. It says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The job of the pastor, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, and the prophet, thank you. I knew I'd forgotten one. Their role is to serve you, is to serve the church, Their role is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Their role is to coach you in doing God's work so that the church might be built up, the body of Christ. The role of these gifts is to serve. We honour those gifts. Don't get me wrong because they are gifts to the church. But their function is to serve us as a body. Their function is to equip us. When you look in the Bible, God often uses, Jesus, when he's talking, talks a lot about fishing, because a lot of the disciples he had were fishermen. So it was a common, everyday job that they did, that they understood, and everybody knew what it meant to go out, put nets down, catch fish. So he spoke a lot of the time in that kind of analogy. And what he said to them is he said, I've come to make you fishers of men. I've come that you might bring the kingdom of God to the people around you. One of the analogies when you study the scripture about the role of those five gifts for the church is their role is to mend the net, to fix the net, to make sure the net doesn't have holes in it so that the net is fit for purpose. Their role is to serve so that you might go and do what God has called you, that you might do the ministry that he has for you, that you might serve the world he's placed you in to the fullness of glory to God that we might be able to honour God more fully because of what they've done to serve us. So again, as we go back to that verse in 1 Peter 14, I've highlighted a different word this time, and that's the word stewards, because it says each of you, again, we've established all of us are called to minister, each of us should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The second point today Again, if you're taking notes, the first was all are called to minister. The second is that um, we're all called to steward our career. As I said earlier, you spend five out of seven days of your adult life in your career. Now, before some of you go, well, I don't work. I only work 16 hours a week or 24, or 32. For whatever reason that is, you've devoted another portion of your life to something else, whether it's to study, whether it's to raising children, whether it's to any number of things. What you've devoted that time to is what I'm talking about in your career. So don't exclude it just because the world doesn't pay you for it, because as a mother, your role raising children is incredibly value, valuable. So hear me, when I'm talking about your career, I'm talking about what you're choosing to vote that time to. Psalm 90 verses 12 tells us, to teach, us, tells us sorry, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As you get older, you realize that those years go by very quickly that all of a sudden that you, you know, 10 years has passed and you look back and there's a lot that's been accomplished, but you realize that actually life is incredibly short, that we have to number our days because they are, they are a precious commodity. The only thing that, you know, the, the level playing field for all of us is our time. We all only get 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And how we use that time is how we steward what God has given us and those gifts Many of you know the parable of the talents, and if you haven't read it before, I encourage you to look in Matthew 25, but in it talks about how a master gave people five bags of gold to one um, steward, two to another, and one to the other, and then he said to go away and to invest them. The first brought back another five, so he got given five, he returned another five, had a total of ten. The second took the two, invested it, returned with another two, had a total of four. The final one was scared of the master, buried the one in the ground and then returned and said, well, you know, I was a bit worried about what you'd do because you harvest where you haven't sown. In in the parable, the master is incredibly hard on that one. He takes his talent, he takes his gold and he gives it to the others. There's a phrase in that story that says, he gave according to their ability It doesn't matter whether you've been given five gifts by God or one gift. What matters is how you steward that gift. And as you steward it well, God will grace you with more. We need to drop the comparison that as humans we're so good at. Stop worrying about how many bags of gold your neighbours got and start using the bags of gold God has given you to serve those around you. There are so many biblical examples of people that influence the world. We've got Joseph who was a prime minister. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Daniel, who governed. Esther is a queen. Deborah is a judge of a nation. David was a talented musician, an amazing shepherd who fought off lions, and then a king over Israel. Lydia, in the New Testament, a dealer of purple cloth or a businesswoman. Um, Peter is a fisherman. Paul, who was a rabbi or a teacher of um, the word of God and a tent maker. Jesus himself, the son of God, When he dwelt on earth, chose to work as a carpenter. Work was not below him. It was very much a part of his life. And although not much of it is recorded in the Bible, he spent a significant amount of time working as a carpenter. And so therefore we can take from that that he wouldn't do something that was fruitless. He chose to work as a carpenter. When you look in the Old Testament, only one of the tribes was the tribe of Levi were the priests. The rest had work to do to support the community. And when you look into the, the pages and pages of the account of the building of the temple of God in the Old Testament, it talks about how the metal workers were graced by God, how they used their talents to bring glory to him. Their ordinary, unspiritual in a Greek mindset metalwork work, actually, God said, was incredibly spiritual, brought him much glory. And so time and time again, we see that, that everything we do should bring glory to God. And so I think... And biblically, we know that God gifts us uniquely and perfectly for the world he places us in. But remember that he gifts us to work with others. That no matter what he's called us to, he doesn't give us everything we need. Because his design from the very beginning is that we would operate in community with him, in relationship with him, as Pastor Will and Desiree taught us, and in relationship with one another. So that together, like we saw when people responded to the mess, we can achieve much greater than we would do it alone. So we're responsible to steward the gifts that God's given us. But we're also responsible to partner with people around us so that those gifts can be dovetailed in and we can be stronger as a result. But today, today we're talking about what gifts you've got and where you're called to serve. I want to put up what's called a Venn diagram with the three circles. Um, and if you're taking notes and you can draw this in, please draw it in, because I'm going to start to talk to you about what fits in each of those circles. One of those circles is your gifts. What unique talents has God given you? Now, for some of you amazing people, there'll be a lot, and you'll need a big circle. But start to place some of those gifts in there. The second one is, what are you passionate about? Now, how do you know what you're passionate about? Well, what makes you mad? Because sometimes what you're passionate about, if something makes you mad, it's the, what's being robbed. What's being robbed? What, what do you love? What brings you joy? What do you hate? What could, would you change if you could? What do you think about all the time? Or as Pastor Raylene used to say to me, what keeps you awake at night? What is it that stirs you and motivates you? So that's the second circle. And then the third circle is what opportunities lie before you. Now, it's where has God placed you? Who is he placed around you? What, um, you know, that could be your workplace. It could be your neighbors. It could be your friendship group. It could be all number of things. But what we're looking for is that, that triangle that forms in the middle where all of those circles overlap. Now, as a simple example for me, I'm really passionate about God. I'm passionate about his word. I'm passionate about people being in relationship with him. One of the gifts I believe God's given me is an ability to take the word of God and to explain it in a way people can understand. And one of the opportunities that sits before me is that my um, boy's school has Bible and schools and I've been asked to run Bible and schools in Josh's class. So in that triangle is an intersection of my passions and an opportunity to teach these children. And so I, in doing my Bible in schools, I go into a sweet spot Now, I can be in that same environment in that school alongside a teacher whose gifts might be to teach children maths. They may be able to teach, um, you know, maths and reading and literacy and make learning come alive for children. They may be passionate about children reaching their potential and their opportunities that they're employed by East Tauri School. So, their sweet spot's different than mine, but it's outworking itself in the same environment for the good of those children and together we can make a huge impact on those children. Do You start to see how finding your sweet spot positions you, but everybody's sweet spot's different. doesn't matter what your sweet spot is, but you just need to pursue it and to use that, what God's given you and the places he has to serve others and to therefore, as I say, serving as ministering to them. And so um, in Matthew, I don't think I've written it down. Hopefully it's on the slide. Matthew eight. coming to it, sorry, what I want to talk about, and I'll bring them back up, is the mountains, so in this school we're talking about education, what we, we, I don't know if you've heard us talk about the big four a little bit, so belong to an e-group, invest in an e-team, find your mission to serve in, and what's your mountain, now, what do we mean by mountains? Mountains are the areas of our nation, of our society, that influence people. You only need to look at what's coming up in um, advertising, coming up on Facebook, what's being spoken about over the news, to know that there is an influence in our world. Now, there are what we've determined nine mountains that influence us, that shape us, that um, make a difference upon what we live. And these, this is this next slide. So those are the mountains of education, business, arts and entertainment, media, government, health, sport, church and family. And generally you'll find your sweet spot intersects with one of these mountains. And you can start to see that in those opportunities there's a mountain that you're called to influence, that you're called to make a difference for in this world, that you're called to shape the way people think so that the kingdom of God might be known. And the thing with it is, as I say, to be able to really influence these mountains, I alone can't influence one. But together, we can make a huge difference. And it's about time that as the church, that we were the influencers, that we shaped these mountains, that we led and we brought the kingdom of heaven into these areas. And that's where the scripture I was looking for is. Matthew 16, 18 to 19, it says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I never used to understand the scripture. I used to wonder. I used to think primarily. I thought, "What is this rock?" Peter, rock. I know Peter means rock, but what are they on about? What I've come to know is that what it means is just before this, Peter said, "Jesus, you're the Son of God." It's that confession that Jesus is who He says He is, that He is the Son of God, and that He has power. And the second part, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, other versions call it, will not overcome it. Now, I used to think that that meant that me as a a human that God loved and sent his son for, that there is nothing, the gates of hell cannot stop me coming back into relationship with God. That if I choose to accept what Jesus has done, that I can step back into relationship with him. That the gates of hell can't stop me. That I'm no longer a prisoner. That I'm free to enter relationship with him. Now, that is true and it is biblical, but it's not what the scripture is saying. What the scripture is saying is that I, anointed by God, with those gifts, the gates of hell cannot stop me bringing the kingdom and heaven into our world. The gates of hell cannot stop us influencing those mountains. The gates of hell cannot stop us Um, be able to ascend the mountain of education or arts and entertainment or media, that actually with God and partnered together, that we have power to overcome what the enemy's doing in those areas and actually bring the kingdom of heaven in. Remember the Lord's prayer for those that know it, Your, um, your kingdom come, your will on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just waiting about our existence, knowing God, waiting to go to heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth. We're called to bring the kingdom of heaven, God's ways, God's rule and reign into all of those mountains. And if I remind you of them again, those are the mountains of business, of government, of arts and entertainment, of media, of education, of health, of sport, of church and of family. We together are called to influence those mountains and bring God's kingdom here on earth so if ministry was just what we do here on a Sunday there's no way we could impact it but you can see how we've been deceived and keeping it to this why the church can then become irrelevant because if this is all we're about we're never going to influence any of those mountains apart from perhaps church but I would argue that church is us and if we are not impacting our community then church isn't functioning well at all Because as Pastor Sam says, we are who we are. The church is me, the church is you in every situation you find yourself in. And so the reality is that we need to find which mountain our sweet spot is in. And we need to find others who are passionate about that so we can partner together so our influence is greater. So which mountain do you find your sweet spot in? If you've been taking notes and you've done that diagram, maybe you know immediately some of your sweet spots. But maybe you don't. And I encourage you, go away and actually do that exercise. Start to seek God. Ask him which mountain your sweet spot falls in. But whichever mountain it is, love God and love others. That's all, you know, don't depart from that. We see with the example of Solomon. He was an amazing man who they say was the wisest to have lived and the wisest who will ever live. He accomplished amazing feats. His wealth was extraordinary. His reach was extraordinary. He had governors and people coming to him from all over the world to ask him how to rule, how to reign, what to do. But at the end of his life, God had said to him, just stay wholeheartedly following me. Give me your whole heart. But by the end of his life, he'd chosen to depart from that. He'd chosen to seek. He'd gotten distracted by some of the people he found in his life. You see, in those days, you, you married um, for political alliance. and But yet the Israelite people were told not to marry other nations. At the end of Solomon's life, amongst the many wives he had, we found that he had foreign wives. Now, I wonder if his motive initially was pure. It was to make alliances with these kingdoms. But at the end of his life, the Bible tells us that he loved those women more than he could, you know, he couldn't bring himself to wholly follow God because they had a part of his heart. And yet the very thing before it all came to fruition, before God favoured him, God said to him was, give me your whole heart. So can I say to you, wherever God takes you, wherever God leads you, no matter what mountain it is, well, no matter what environment you find yourself in, there are temptations. There are things that will want to grab at your heart and take you from following God, from loving him and loving others. But don't depart from him and, and give him thanks for all of the success you have. Proverbs tells us that he stores success for the upright. The favor and the success, your, your intelligence, even if you're, if you're doing well in your career and, and you're smart and you're exceeding others, it's all given from God. Acknowledge him for it. Give him the glory. Humble yourself and make sure that your heart remains pure towards him so that you don't at the end of your life, like Solomon achieved a lot, but it would grieve me so much if I came before God and he said, Justine, you lost the plot. You forgot the main thing you might have done all of this, the world might think you're amazing, but I am grieved with you because you haven't given me your whole heart. All of those achievements would be meaningless if I came before my God and he said, I only got half of you. I'd much rather have no success in the world's eyes, but success in my God's. So the, so the first point I said was that we're all called to minister. My second point was that we're to steward our careers, that God has given us gifts and abilities and we're actually to steward that, train yourself, put yourself in these positions and steward what he's given you well. And the third is, um, really comes out of the question, what if you don't know your mountain? What if you're sitting there, and you're drawing that diagram and actually it's like there's about five other circles and you're like, oh, this is just more confusing. I wish you'd never given that to me. What if you don't know your mountain? Well, the third point is it's a journey. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message Vision says this. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep com- fit, sorry, company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As I say, no matter where you find yourself, you're to love God and love others. you to serve others. And I want to share with you a little bit of my journey in terms of those mountains. And I'm not sharing it with you because it's a perfect path, because it's a path where you can see how when I made choices, it all aligned and I ended up right on the right mountain and basically just do this and you'll be sweet. I actually share it with you to show you that um, the journey is a bit windy the journey can be windy. Yours will be different than mine and, um, and many of you, you might be able to share a straighter path or a more windy path. The reality is it's about the journey. It's about walking with God and working with Him. And so for me, I want to say like, oh, when I came to Dunedin, I wasn't walking with God. I came down to do health sciences, stayed at Carrington Hall for any Carringtonites out there. Um, and, you know, and I, was, and I was on this path and because, why did I do health sciences? Well, everything I looked at when I was in school was about health, I was really passionate about health, my mum's a registered nurse and no offence to the nurses or nursing students out there but she said awesome that you want to be in health just don't be a nurse, Um, I think she'd change her opinion but it's primarily because if she had her way again she'd be a landscape gardener slightly different, that's possibly why she <laughs> said don't do nursing, but everything I looked at was health related, everything. I think part of that was to get me to Dunedin, so I'd encounter God, but part of that was because that's how I was wired. So mum said to me at 17, she said, well, why don't you do health side to keep your options open? Sounded wise, I listened to my parents, I came down to university, did health sciences, ended up in physiotherapy. And to be honest, before I started health sciences, all I thought that physios did was um, sprained ankles, sore backs, that kind of sporting injury, because that's about all I'd seen when I'd been um, involved in sports teams. That's the only encounter I'd had with a physiotherapist. Once I started training, I'd chosen physio, long story in that, but once I started training I started to see that there were these areas, one was paediatrics, working with small children and the other was um, neurorehabilitation which is ended up what I ended up doing, I ended up working with under 65 year old people, helping them after brain injuries or stroke to be able to walk again, helping them to achieve their goals. Um, people with motor neurone or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis, helping them to keep hold of the function they have or to compensate for things that the disease process was taking. And I loved it. I I loved the interaction with people. I loved being a part of their journey. It was a real privilege. Some of the hardest times of people's life, I could come in and I knew I brought God into those situations. I had goals and I don't even know if beyond Jake, I've shared them with anybody else. So here we go, share them with 200, it's okay. Um, But my goals as a physio is I, I um, I wanted to lecture. I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to teach people how to be better physios. I wanted to make groundbreaking research so I would discover how we could get people better faster, more or to a greater, that they'd regain more of their ability that they'd lost. I wanted to make sure that I was on the cutting edge of helping people in that area, and, I, and then I wanted to go and teach other physios, so that my income could be greater than the rehab ward that I was on at the time, and so my plan was that when we had young children, I was going to do my masters, and that was going to start me on that path, and I'd probably go academic from there, and, um, but then, when Josh was six weeks old, we bought the business that we now own, And all of the attention that I would have devoted to a master's suddenly was flown into a business and into learning about accounts and learning about how do you decide whether you've got enough money to buy a dental chair, which are ridiculously expensive. Do we have enough money or are we going to go under? What do we do about the staffing situation? And really, to be honest, when Jake and I bought that business, we were in way over our heads. Neither of us knew anything about business. It just seemed like a good idea. And we did, we did have a couple, we were wise, we had a couple of people come and look at the books when we were buying it and said to us, yeah, no, it's, it's a solid business, our accountant said you're fine, but the truth was, day to day, we actually didn't know what we were doing. And so I started to go, well, do I go back to uni and study accounting? Do I do business management? What do, ah! And and then we came across, by God's provision, this Christian business mentor who we paid, but he taught us so much about business, taught us much more than I could have learnt from a course. And suddenly we started to become equipped. And I started to, I started to ask the question, well, how does this work? When am I going to do my master's God, How's this, you know, where does this all fit in? Oh, well, I'm enjoying this. It's okay. And this works, and it works well with well, the little children, because I could do it at home, all of those things. All the time I was doing the occasional job for the university in a research trial and every now and again my um, boss would sit me down and go Justine I've got this PhD scholarship you could do this one and it would be a great trial and it would be a funded PhD and it was enticing but every time I was like it's not the right time this isn't the right time can't do it and then to throw another curveball in amongst that journey when we had Josh and Daniel then Pastor Paul comes to me and he says I'm going to put you forward for ordination I was like, okay, kind of, I remember saying to God, this is a bit odd, the timing's a bit odd, because I was an elder, I was leading an e-group, I was involved in women's ministry, I was serving in the church, but I wasn't on staff, I wasn't head of any department, I didn't have a position that people could have looked at, and I thought, God, what are you doing, why am I being ordained, what is this about, and he just said, trust me, the timing's perfect, outwardly, it didn't make any sense whatsoever to me, but I, but I had that peace, God knows what he's doing, and he always does. And the thing that came with that, because as I say, one of my passions is the Word of God, and I'd wanted to study the Word, but every time I'd talk to God about Bible college or about signing up for a course, he'd say, not now. And I wouldn't have that peace, so I'd go, okay, it must be later. And then, as some of you will know, for ordination, you must have done some, some, qualif- uh, some training, some study, um, which is a good safeguard, so that when we speak, I don't come up with those four assumptions. <laughs> Anyway, um, I only come up with them once before my movement supervisor pastor will make sure I don't do it ever again. Um, but yeah, it's one of those safety things. And so all of a sudden, with two young children, a business and a busy full life where I was still doing physio work, here I was going to embark upon the study. And, um, and then the following year, it made, started to make a bit more sense because Pastor James and Trina, as you'll know, went to Whanganui for those that were there then. And I took on role of leading young adults and came on staff here at church. And at the time, I had a physio contract, and my life was full, and I was busy, and I was pregnant with Chloe. And I really didn't have enough time to do all that was on my plate. And I thought about letting go of that physio contract. But the contract was for a research trial with um, falls prevention and intellectual disability. And I knew that if I said no to it, that the trial wouldn't go ahead because it's really hard to find a casual staff member was already underway, and the funding's only for a short period. And I really felt God say, honour this contract, because the University of Otago was, probably still is, leading ground in falls prevention and intellectual disability, and it's a need, an area of need. And God just said, I'll grace you. And so I did. I ran with all of these balls up in the air. But then when that finished, and when I had Chloe, God said to me, OK, it's time to go non-practising as a physio, and I don't think I'll go back. And I went on this journey with God, and if you'd asked me when I was working as a physio, as I was training as a physio, I was so passionate about it, and I would have told you my mountain was health. But God said to me, look, Justine, what did you love about physio? And I was like, I love helping people do life well their physical life, I love being a part of their journey of being able to, achieve, you know, be back to able to go to a coffee shop because they can walk in with their friends, I love being able to help someone get back to playing basketball, um, you know, all of those things, I love that I can bring a part of joy back, and he said, well, you know, what do you love about ministering, like pastoring or being involved in people's spiritual life, almost said that word ministry, serving in this way, what do I love about that? Well, I love people helping people come alive and, and do life with God well, so they understand God. and it's the same thing, it's just a different context. And so what I, I realized in my journey is I was ascending this mountain of health, and then God came there's a fork in the road, and I went across onto another mountain, and, I, and now I'm journeying on a different one of church presently. But it doesn't actually really matter. If you don't know what your mountain is, don't fret about it. Just be faithful with what God's given you at the moment and what lies in front of you. Engage in that sweet spot because he does the work, he leads you, he guides you, and he can much more easily move you if you're on a journey of a pilgrimage towards him, as Pastor Desiree said. You don't have to have it all figured out and your dreams will change. I no longer dream of traveling the world, um, having done a PhD and, you know, and teaching people about how to do physio. Not that that's not a great goal if some of you out there, that's your heart's desire, but my heart's changed and my desires have changed and I have new dreams because God's taken me, he's veered the course. But I can tell you, I have no regrets of the time I spent as a physio. I know God equipped me and trained me in that and know I was in his will. I, didn't, I wasn't off track for 10 years. That was the first 10 years. That was what God had for me. And I know that that was what he asked of me. And you don't want to get to the end of your life, like I said before, having either a divided heart or finding that you went in and you pursued being a pastor when God actually wanted you to be an accountant. And you come before him and he calls you up. and He says, you know, accountant Smith. And you're looking around and it's like, well, who's he talking to? Because I'm not an accountant, but my name's Smith. Accountant Smith. And then you realize he's talking to you and you come before him and he's like, you're like, but I, but I was a pastor. And he's like, yeah, but I called you to be an accountant. Why didn't you follow that? Oh, but I thought that was more spiritual. No, I called you to be an accountant. Likewise, you don't want to pursue like, oh, I can make heaps of money being a lawyer. I'm not going to be a pastor because, man, my salary would be way less. And you come before God and he says, Pastor Jones. And you're like, lawyer Jones? Pastor Jones. And you come before him and it's like, I called you to be a pastor. Oh, but God, I made heaps of money for the kingdom. You know, I influence, You know, what about that workmate that I brought to God? What about those people I had a conversation with? And he's like, you missed the point. I called you to be a pastor. I didn't call you to be a lawyer. Yeah, you're a good lawyer, but that's not what I asked of you. We've got to serve God in the way he's called us to, with the gifts that he's given us, and we've got to follow his leading. So as I finish, look at 1 Peter fourteen, And if I could have the worship team come back up. It says, each of you, remember, all of us have gifts. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. All of us have a part to play. All of us in our career and our everyday lives should be honoring God. We have gifts that he intends for us to serve. Invest them, steward them, and go on a journey with God and you'll be amazed at what he opens up. But you know I said that the f- way we started this series was about the call to know God? You See, as I say, to go on that journey is that, that verse from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, walking with God, working with Him, finding that unforced rhythm of grace. The reason I know that those first 10 years as physio were in God's will is because I was walking with God in it, just as much as I'm walking with God and what I'm doing now. Walking with Him and working with Him, you don't have to fret about where exactly the mountaintop is. You just know you're going to enjoy the journey. But you can't do that if you don't know God. And so I don't want to go on in the service without giving you an opportunity to come to know Him if you don't already. And it really is the best decision I made in my life. I've made a lot of good decisions, but choosing to follow God, beginning my journey with Him, absolute best by far. He, he created you. He formed you. He knows your purpose and He can lead you into it. And you'll find, as his word promises, that your life, it might not be easy, but it's rich and satisfying. So if everybody could close their eyes and bow their heads.